Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to another new episode of I See It But I Don't Believe It. I'm Gemma Bastiani and we're powering through these uh, recordings while everyone's stuck in isolation and bored, so I'm taking advantage of everyone's free time, very much so. Today I'm joined by Todd Davey. Hey Todd. Hey Gemma, how are you? I am good. Excited to talk about one of my favourite men's players and who I think is your one of your favourite men's players as well. Absolutely, he is. <laughs> uh, can we, so can today, we say who he is yet? Yeah, well, can you tell us what game you've chosen to talk about? Um, talking, we're talking the 2012 Geelong Fremantle Elimination Final, a.k.a. the Pavlich game. I'm dubbing AKA it that. A.k.a. the Pavlich game. <laughs> and what was your reason for choosing this game? Well, as, as discussed, we're both ma- massive Matthew Pavlich fans. He doesn't get anywhere near <laughs> enough love on the East Coast. And um, <laughs> this, is, this is arguably one of my favourite non-grand final finals of all time. It's a brilliant individual performance from Pav and in probably his best ever individual season. Yeah, that's true. And it said a lot during um, the broadcast as well, but he actually played most of the year up the field and then only played the back half of the year while injured in the forward line and kicked a lot of goals. He like was close to kicking the most of the season and only having played half of the season in the forward line. He kicked more than six goals. Four I mean, times throughout in the, the season. In the season. Yeah, four times yeah. throughout the season he did that. Jesus. More than six goals. Incredible. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so, and I mean, I'll mention it throughout the actual chat of the game, but he was so underrated um, over here. Victorians are fucking stupid, can I just say. Um, we are. Me being one of them. Uh, so... Context of this game, Geelong are the reigning premiers, so they're seen as the big dogs in this game. Frio had never won a final in Melbourne. Uh, Frio hadn't been in the competition that long either, let's be honest. Uh, so Geelong finished the year sixth on the ladder with 15 wins, and Frio finished seventh with 14 wins, which meant the game was in Victoria, but it was at the MCG because we all know how that all works out. Subs were still a thing at the time. So remember that time with the vests and how Justin Kaczynski threw his off and there was a lot of animosity towards those vests. Um, And can I just say personally, re-watching this game, it reminded me how much I love David Mundy and Hayden Ballantyne and it reminded me how much I hate Brian Taylor. (laughs) Yeah, it's... (laughs) Brian Taylor... For all his faults, I think he was pretty good in this game. He he injected no. a lot of excitement. Yeah, I know you're not going to cop that, but I actually thought Brian Taylor did a really good job of um, building the excitement for Fremantle um, and just like making it known that Fremantle are here to play. Because I don't accept <laughs> that. Also, he gets Fife and um, he gets Fife and Pavlich confused more than once. Yeah, well, that's par for the course for Brian. I don't accept that as being okay. Anyway, uh, also, it was Ross Lyon's first year as Frio's coach. He'd famously brought Zach Dawson with him from the Saints, which we've already talked about uh, before recording, so that's something. So, it's Saturday, September 8th, 2012 at the MCG, and the attendance was 44,460 people, uh, mostly Geelong, surprisingly. And first quarter. So the first thing I really noticed was the booing of Hayden Ballantyne. <laughs> there was also, before, before we start, there was also two uh, key, key omissions for both teams. Luke McFarlane with a hamstring and Steve yep. Johnson was suspended. So big loss for Geelong yeah. there. 
And there was a Frio fan. I loved this so much. There was a Frio fan with a sign that said, do it for Steve. And she was sitting right next to a male Geelong fan. And at one point, Freo were up by a lot, which we'll get to, but she was celebrating with the sign and the Geelong fan, like, almost hit her and, like, tried to take the sign off her and they caught it all on the broadcast and they started fighting and as soon as they started fighting, they turned the camera away. Oh, sounds like Collingwood behaviour, not Geelong and Fremantle. I mean, there are other clubs I would put in there, but whatever. So, (laughs) Valentine being booed, I forgot what that was like. I... I'm a big Hayden Ballantyne fan. I always was. You? Hayden Ballantyne, you may not know, is now a big-time horse trainer in, the, in Western Australia. So that's something. Yeah. I mean, uh, but great player. Hayden Ballantyne's skill set was fantastic. He's, um, he had a great ability to get under people's skin. He, it doesn't surprise me you liked Hayden Ballantyne. He reminds me very much of Tom Papley, one Tom of your Papley, favourites. yeah. Yeah. Really good player, threw their body into everything, never gave up, but was really annoying to the opposition. Like, no one's perfect. He's the, he's the archetypal, love to have him on your team, hate to play against him. Yeah, which is weird, the fact that I never went for Freo, but I love him. Anyway, Aiden Ballantyne. He got booed the whole game whenever he got near the ball, which was a lot, so there was a lot of booing. Another thing I noticed, uh, Zach Dawson was lining up directly on Tom Hawkins, and at the start of the game, forgetting Tom Hawkins' history at this point, I was like, that seems like a bad idea, and then I realised Tom Hawkins had just had hip surgery, he wasn't really fully fit, he he almost wasn't going to play footy anymore. So it made a little bit more sense that Zach Dawson was playing one out on him. Um, so the the game's going and Geelong are expected to just come out, blast it and move on to the next round. But almost immediately, Garrick Ibbotson hits Pavlich on the chest about three minutes in. He takes a set shot from about 50 metres and it's a terrible kick. It goes way left, doesn't even make the distance. Everyone's like, oh no, <laughs> this is going to be bad for Freo if that's what's happening. Um, but then a minute later, Pav gets a bit of space in the forward line. Walters hits him on the chest and Pavlich kicks his first. It's like, okay, maybe not so bad. Yeah, at, at that point, you th- after the first kick, you think, oh no, that, this is where Geelong come out and they kick three in a row and they put three men all the way and they kill their spirit. But then Pavlich yep. kicks the first goal of the game and you're thinking, okay, well, now he's atoned for that. What can they do from here? And the thing that was really noticeable about Frio, particularly in this first little kind of foray, was that they weren't going to let the ball come back out of their forward line very easily even if they didn't get the goal or they didn't get the score that they wanted they didn't let it come back out so it gave themselves repeat chances at it which I think was crucial to them getting a hold of the game early on um then David Mundy does the greatest thing I've ever seen uh he split the pack like he just stepped around it it was really weird everyone just kind of stopped and let him just walk through almost and Dave Mundy, again, he, he's a guy you talk about, a West Coast guy. If he's on the East Coast, he's, he's aligned with Pendlebury. His ability to sidestep players and create time is fantastic. And in this game, he's, just, he's, he's on another level. He's one of the main reasons, along with Michael Barlow, that they really get a foothold in this first quarter. <laughs> of course, you mentioned Michael Barlow. Um... I, I reckon your mate Brian Taylor was paid by Assumption College to mention Assumption College as many times throughout this game as possible. Uh, yeah, that's just something for, I don't know, for fun. But Mundy split the pack and he kicks it to Pav, who was in a one-on-one in the goal square. Lonergan goes to ground, Pav marks it, but then turns around, just strolls into goal, kicks his second. And everyone's like, what is happening? Why is this happening? And Pavlich also was carrying an Achilles injury at this point as well. What more can you say about the man? He's just fantastic. Well, that's the thing that I think we forget. And we probably forget it about 100 players that have played in the past. But Pavlich in particular, his ability to read the ball is the best I've seen. Like... In terms of uh, reading the ball as, it, as it's coming in, and we'll get to some points where it's really obvious, but 
His ability to read the play, predict what's going to happen and get into the right spot and then uh, get get it in a way that he's protecting the ball that his uh, defender can't get in. It's the best of anyone I've seen. Like, you can talk about the great contested marks in, in football. You can talk about how Buddy plays as a forward. You can talk about all that sort of stuff. No one comes close to Matthew Pavlich. No, he, he, he's, he was the specialist of putting his player under the ball, moving his player under the ball and running back and taking a chess mark. He was just... The way he could read the ball in flight was arguably the best, best I've seen probably since Matthew Lloyd when, around that 2000 era. He was just... yeah. It, it reminds me actually a lot of Matthew Lloyd, now that you've mentioned it, in the way that he would always go for the chess mark. He wouldn't go with arms outstretched. It's always the chess mark. But the way he bodied um, his opponent and the way he read the ball made that like the safe option. Whereas most others, you'd be like, no, no, you've got to go with outstretched hands. Like get to the ball as quickly as you can. But no, he always took the chess mark. It, he protected the ball and he was so hard to stop. Strong, fast, he's, he's just the complete player. Even while injured. Um, so Pavlich has two. Hawkins, I mean, literally threw the ball out of bounds and it just got left. I just feel like mentioning that. Like he literally threw the ball out of bounds and it was just a throw-in. I just felt like mentioning. Um, Ballantyne, let's talk about him for a second. He takes a freakish mark about 40 metres out. How good was that mark? Oh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute vintage he, Hayden Ballantyne, isn't it? Yeah, well, he was just throwing his body into everything. And to that point, he'd been really influential in, in Frio's ball movement. But he finally got the mark up forward and he was rewarded with the goal. Frio are now up by 17 points. Geelong haven't even had a look in. They've got one behind to their name. And the other person, particularly as a defensive forward role, Chris Main was amazing. Yes, well, Chris Main, this is what... So he, he played in the grand final for Fremantle before leaving for Collingwood. This is yeah. cl- close to peak Chris Main too at Fremantle. He was, the, he was just that archetypal straight shooter, defensive forward, lays tackles, pressure, just exactly what Ross Lyon used to love. And yeah, yeah they, were, they were switched on straight away from the first bounce Fremantle in their forward line. And Geelong just had no answers when they just continually pressured the ball forward. There's a <laughs> there's a moment I think it's in the third quarter that I'll bring up then where it's you can see that Geelong's attitudes maybe haven't changed in the eight years since, but um, yeah. So Chris Main was amazing, and then they again had locked the ball in their forward half. Ryan Crowley kicks his first goal. Now the Dockers are up by twenty three, and Frio are just slicing through Geelong's defence, which had always been considered this incredible defence with Andrew Mackey, Tom Lonigan, Harry Taylor, like all those names that are synonymous with um, the best era of Geelong. It was just and Corey Enright, like they just were cutting through it because they were getting the numbers back, forcing them to spread and. They were just running harder than them. It felt like watching it that maybe Geelong peaked in 2012, 2011, sorry, with their <laughs> grand final win. And they, you, think, you think maybe these guys are getting, getting on a bit. Like you've got Joel Corey, you still had... Um, Josh Hunt. Josh Hunt, GWS superstar. You had... Um, Who terrifies me. Oh, he's he's the, so scary. He's... <laughs> He's one of the most ball of muscle players I've ever seen in my life. There's a moment in this game where he's given away a free kick and he's standing on the mark and he's like hunched over a little bit and you see him looking up like through the tops of his eyes at you and it's just, well, at the player on the mark, but it, a player with the ball, but it felt like it was like into your soul. And I was like, he's going to murder me. Well, well, he, we'll, we'll get to it later on, but he kicks the goal in the last quarter that gets him kind of back in it and he's not even happy, he's just angry. And what, he's an aggressive player. Default fire. level is angry, yeah. Uh, another fun fact, this is Michael Walters' 20th game. Kicks a, kicks a nice goal in the game too. It looks a sign of things to come for him. Yeah, and again, the commentary is all about the troubles he'd had earlier in the year and how his AFL career was like under threat because of some off-field issues he'd had and all this sort of stuff. And now you look at it today and you're like, oh, he's like a legend of the club now. <laughs> yeah. 
It was. It's, um, and e- then, it's easy to forget that that about Michael Walters. He um, that Ross Lyon really he really thrived under Ross Lyon because you know Michael Walters was really on the cusp of getting delisted due to off-field behaviour, but now he's one of the custodians of the club, and it's a great testament to the man's uh, work ethic and uh, dedication to the game. I thought you were just going to do a little like thing about Ross Lyon there, and I was going to cut you off, but we're going to talk about. Pavlich taking another contested mark, kicks his third goal with six minutes remaining in the first quarter. He has three. Uh, the Dockers have five and Geelong have one point. And that is a beautiful set shot from Pavlich too. Wrong side for a right foot and just goes splits the absolute middle. It's amazing. Like, ah, just watching him play is so fun. Uh, this is where Brian Taylor gets Fife and Pavlich confused for the first time. That's fun. Easy to um, do that, though. They look very similar. Uh, Fife was literally a baby in this game as well. Mm. And then coming out of defence, Geelong belts it down the middle and Fife gets up and knees uh, Selwood in the side, takes a beautiful mark, and it's just perfection seeing Selwood go down while Fife was up in the air, and Fife's like a twig, not the Fife we know today, <laughs> taking this great mark, and just, again, evidence of Freo locking the ball in their forward half. You can't, under, you can't overstate, sorry, how important it was for Fremantle. They, they had uh, any other team with five... Five goals, seven behinds. You, you could get rattled with how many how many chances you've take you've had and not taken the opportunity. But Fremantle just continually kept locking it in and creating opportunities for themselves and creating that wall. And it's testament to how good their defence was. They only considered one point for that opening quarter. Yeah, and I think once the Cats started getting that outside ball movement late in the first quarter, it's like, oh, they might be in trouble here now. But the rate at which Frio's players were running, how hard they were running, it reminds me a little bit of North's women's team this year, how hard they ran. You you were always outnumbered at the ball, always outnumbered ahead of the ball, and then always outnumbered in defence because they were just all running as hard as they possibly could. And if you're not a fit enough team or you don't have the endeavour as a team to go with them, you're just going to be run out off the park all day. And that's exactly what Freo were doing here because, yeah, Geelong start to get that outside ball movement and then they get to defence and there's no one-on-ones like Freo were getting in their forward line. It was blocked up or they always had the extra like Ibbotson or Alex Silvani or someone like that coming across the front saving Zach Dawson. Uh, I shouldn't be so mean to Zach Dawson. <laughs> uh, you, you can be. You, to, be fair, <laughs> to be fair, he was a, he, he got the most out of himself. That's the polite way to say it. Didn't he play in three grand finals? He didn't win one, so... Three more he grand finals than I played in, so okay. as Ross Lyon. Yeah, and me too, so... <laughs> Who's, be- who's the better footy player, Zach, me or you? <laughs> I'm definitely going to go with Zach Dawson. Um, yeah, that's fair. So it ends the first quarter, Geelong 0-1-1 to Frio 5-7-37. So Frio are looking pretty good, but you can tell by their faces as they're walking towards the huddle is that the job's not done yet. They're not resting on their laurels. They're ready to go for the second quarter. And so they come out. Second quarter, and the first of Selwood's suspect high free kicks for the game begins. Two minutes in, raising the arm, getting the high free. Uh, Didn't work for you, Selwood, because you still lost, I'm just saying. Um, This this quarter was a bit... I'm really, like, snarky today. I'm normally not like this on this show, so I apologise to everyone. But this quarter was a bit more of an arm wrestle. It was much more even. But Mundy was the ultimate team player in this game. We've we've already spoken about Mundy, our love for Mundy, but he, he along and again I'm gonna bring him up, Michael Barlow, they they just did the the selfless things over and over again. They both they ended the ended the game with seventeen combined tackles. I mean, that's incredible. And there was just it was the selfless selflessness of their play. It was the digging the ball out. They I don't think either of them got a goal, no. So Michael Barlow kicked it behind, but it was all about what can we do for our teammate? What can we do for the, for the chain of play? 
Yeah, and his connection, uh, I mean, Mundy in particular, his connection with Aaron Sanderlands, who was killing it this game as well, just their connection. So so often there would be just replays of the stoppage where Sanderlands hits it directly to Mundy and they get the clearance. It was just perfect, and that's the connection you want as a ruck and a, and a key midfielder, and it's something that we don't see as much of. I mean, Brody Grundy and Max Gorn are probably the two that have that connection with a particular player, um, Max Gorn with Clayton Oliver, obviously, and Grundy with probably, I don't know, Trelaw or Adams or any of their midfielders. Or you could, we could talk about Jess Allen and Elise Parker for the Giants as well. So it, it was just a thing of beauty, and this is another thing. We, we talk about how Pav is underrated over here on the East Coast. I think Sanderlands was as well. Well, yeah, well, another player you, you, you could bring up is Nick Nananui and Luke Shuey with that. It's just, the oh, yeah, Ruckcraft, when it's, when, it's when it's done well, is there's fewer things of more beauty than that. Sanderlands was just the king of controlling the space in the Ruck contest and tapping the ball to his midfielder's advantage. And Mundy just feasted on that all game. Yeah, and Mundy not only feasted on it, but he made the best choices after he got the disposal as well, after he got the ball as well. Um, the free players everywhere inside 50 for Frio. The Dockers kicked the first of the second quarter through Matt DeBoer, but it was just, it was really strange to see how loose Geelong's defence seemed. But the reality was Frio were moving the ball too fast. They were getting their players back too quickly for Geelong to get any sort of control in that half of the ground. Yeah, well... So they were uh, Fremantle, like you said, got the first first goal of the game, first goal of the second quarter there, and they're looking like they're not going to stop now because the big question was coming out of quarter time. Chris Scott's pointing fingers. Everyone's angry in Geelong. What what's their response going to be? And Fremantle getting the first goal really made a statement. I thought in this game that wow, they actually they're actually here to play. They're actually here to win. Not not just make yeah. a, not just have an honourable loss here. Yeah, then they weren't just making up the numbers of the finals like uh, a certain uh, Victorian team often does. Yep, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Todd's an Essendon fan, if anyone wants to know. Uh, So about uh, 11 minutes into the second quarter, Tom Hawkins got his first touch uh, because obviously that throw out of bounds didn't count. Uh, he got his first touch through a free kick and he kicked it behind. So it was just like nothing was going right for Geelong. And then about a minute later, there was just end-to-end play from Fremantle that ended in Clancy Pierce, of all people, kicking this beautiful set shot at goal. And the Dockers were up by 48 points and Geelong were yet to kick a goal. Was Clancy Pierce a name you recall before this match? I completely forgot yes. about Clancy Pierce's career. And I remember exactly how to spell it as well. Because they had two Pierces on their team. Daniel was spelled with a Y and Clancy was spelled with two E's. Ah, Daniel Pierce, blast from the past. Uh, but, but yes, that, this Clancy Pierce goal puts him up 48 points, game high lead. Now you're really starting to look at the Geelong leaders. Like you're looking at uh, Joel Corey, you're looking at Joel Selwood, and you, where's the response going to come from? And at that point, it didn't look like there was anything, anything in the tank for them. Look like that. Yeah, and again, literally hadn't even kicked a goal. And there was a moment where Michael Johnson, another key defender, got up and had a shot at goal. And it's just like they're just running all over them. They're just doing what they want. And this is a Geelong team that have won three premierships in the last five years. This is the Geelong team too that, yeah, in their 2011 grand final ran over the top of Collingwood. This, they, they were the team that did this to, this to their opposition, not the other way around. Yeah. Um, and since then, we've all seen how well Geelong have played in finals. That was really mean as well. Sorry. Oh, God. I don't hate Geelong. I really don't. I just really like Freo in this game. Um, so Geelong started to find a bit of fight, and uh, Andrew Mackey finally kicked a goal 18 minutes into the second quarter, and the Dockers were up by 41. So Geelong were kind of starting to get the ball locked in their forward half. They had a bit more territory, a bit more time to get a bit of control, and this is when Selwood's traditional free kick number two comes in, gets yep. another free kick right in front of goal, kicks Geelong's second goal, and Fremantle were up by 35 points. And then, and then not long after, so in the space of four minutes, Geelong pegged 
pegged three goals back through through Mackie of all people, Joel Selwood, and then Mitch Duncan with a nice kick. And yeah, they're, long-haired they're, Mitch Duncan. Oh, my favourite Mitch Duncan. And then <laughs> we're starting to think, oh, did Frio did Frio get a little bit of ahead ahead of themselves here? Because Geelong seemed to get on the get on that run. They seemed to have momentum. The crowd's starting to get a little bit louder. And then Michael Walters pegs back a goal and. A freakish soccer off the ground. That's well. That's the first sign you see of Michael Walters. What's what's to come for him? Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is Michael Walters that we know now. That he does this week in week out. But that's this is the first time we see him. This is the first time I recall seeing him. Like, oh, this guy can really play, can't he? He if he gets it all together, he can be one of the one of the premier medium forwards in the game. Yeah, and that goal of his came off some really hard work and repeated efforts from Chris Mayne in the forward line. Like, Chris Mayne got the ball into a position where Walters could have that shot, and he also was shepherding um, players off while Walters took that shot. So Chris Mayne deserves a lot of credit for that. Amongst all that as well, um, immediately after Selwood kicks his goal off that Second high free kick, he cops his third with the raised arm. I just thought I'd mention that. We're up to three. Um, and the Dockers are up by five, 35. So even though that quarter was far better from Geelong, the margin still remained largely the same. So they go into halftime 35 points down. So it's Geelong 3-5-23 to Frio 8-9-57. And the reason I'm mentioning the Selwood high free kicks is because... It was almost like the stopgap, like, disaster plan option for him in terms of, oh, how do we get back in this game? We need control. I need some free kicks. Let's start doing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, you could say that. I think... Well, I think he, It he, didn't happen in the first quarter. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Joel Selwood thought it's time to stamp my authority on this game and put my head over the ball. And as a result, though... Fremantle just couldn't tackle the hips. I don't know. I think you're being a little bit cynical on Joel. Too much credit. Being very cynical on Joel. Credit. I don't like stuff like that. I didn't like it when Lindsay Thomas did it. I don't like it when Joel Selwood does it. I don't like it when George Hewitt does it for the team that I go for. I just don't like it. I think it's trash. And also, we always talk about head is sacrosanct. Got to protect the head, and then players are allowed to do that. Um, to get their head hit on purpose, it's just like, what are we? Who are we protecting here? I agree with you, but uh, he's he exploited he's exploiting the rule very well. So good luck to him. I mean, I don't I don't think it's within the spirit of the game. But if he wants to do it, go go ahead, Joel. I'm giving you the green light. Oh God! <laughs> just like Toby Green kicking Alia Alia in a final as well. But a rule got it brought in for that because everyone hates Toby Green anyway. Let's move on to the third quarter. So Motlop opens the quarter with a goal in the first minute. So Geelong start the quarter better than they did the past two. The Cats have a lot of ball in their forward 50 early, and it's something rare for this game was them being able to keep the ball in their forward half. Uh, they're they're to pretty much unsighted Steve Motlop to that point too. I think he only had three kicks for the entire game, and that was one of them. But... This is this is where, again, like I said, like I said before, this is where you, you felt Geelong thought they needed to make their move, and they started they started to they started the third quarter um, with that in mind. And the other thing that we didn't talk about much in the second quarter, but we'll soon talk about, is um, Matthew Pavlich. <laughs> oh, Pav. Oh, Pav. So uh, Matthew Stokes kicked a huge goal. So now Geelong have the first two of the quarter. It was a dribbler from about 40 metres out. He crumbed a stoppage really beautifully, rolled through with no one in front of him, and the Dockers' lead was cut to 20 points. But then, almost immediately, what happens? This is... This, I've, I've, hold on, I've got to get the, uh, got to get the stats <laughs> up again. But this is this is symptomatic of the game. Geelong made their move, and then Fremantle just pegged them back. It was it was like there was a there was an invisible wall around this twenty point lead that they just could not they could not breach. Fremantle so this, just continually this, had the answers. Yeah, this was the 
particular passage of play that when I was talking earlier about being so quick to read the ball and get himself into the right position, this was a passage of play that I think um, exemplified it perfectly. There was no way Pav was to know what Fife was going to do in the midfield. There was no way because it was a scrap. Fife pulled the ball out and kicked it around his body just as a clearing kick. It just happened to be right where Pav was leading, in front of his opponent, took it as a contessa mark on his chest. Like There was no way he could have known that's what Fife was going to do. It's, just, it's a guy that is smarter than his opponent, athletically gifted. He's just, he was absolutely the complete player. Like, there's not much more you can say about Pav. And he kicks oh, the clutch goal that they need. Yeah, he kicks his fourth from it's nearly 50 metres out at the top of the 50. And, yeah, it, I just was stunned by his ability to take that mark like it was a set play, which it clearly wasn't. It couldn't have been a set play. Ball movement's too fast. Yeah, and Fife, there was no way Fife knew where he was kicking. It was just kicking it forward. He wasn't looking up and being like, oh, Pav's leading, let's kick it to him. And for all Nat Fife's gifts and how fantastic he is, uh, kicking into the forward 50 is not one of his strengths. So we can... I not think we now, can put a and it definitely through. wasn't back then. <laughs> wasn't back then either, no. No. Um, so, yeah, Pav kicks this beautiful shot and it's just like... It just showcased everything that was good about Pavlich's forward game. Um, anyway, we'll stop t- doing that. Uh, Vardy then takes a great mark at the top of the 50. Nathan Vardy, who now is like third string ruck at West Coast, um, yeah, took a mark at the top of the 50, kicked it, and Fremantle now lead by 21. Oh, and this was something I noticed as well. Um, Paul Hood sitting sitting on Geelong's bench. Paul Hood, famously uh, Geelong's AFLW senior coach, head coach, uh, he's sitting on Geelong's bench. I don't know what his role was at the time, but it was nice to see that familiar face there. Is he keeping his cool under under pressure? Or I didn't notice him there. Yeah, he was he was just chilling. <laughs> it was good. I I liked it. Um, he's a very very good coach. I. I'm a big fan of Paul Hood, so there we go. Anyway, uh, Geelong then finally do their sub, which is Jordan Murdoch off for Jonathan Simpkin. Jordan Murdoch, who now plays for the Suns. Jonathan Simpkin, who now no longer plays at all. <laughs> one, um, of the, uh, one of the Essendon top-up players. Was he? He was, yes. It's funny you say that because I was about to mention James Kelly. <laughs> oh, we love James Kelly at Essendon now. He's I think everyone loves James Kelly. He's yep. a great, he, he yeah, very well liked. Um, not for the, what he did here, though. He was reported for a high bump on Mzungu. It wasn't a good look. It Yeah, it's, it was bad. It, yeah, it's one of those ones that you want to avoid. He, he hits him high. Mzungu's body and dreads go flying. Uh, did, I, don't, I didn't actually see if he got suspended, but I assume he did. Did, did, you, did you look Surely. up that? Yeah. No, I didn't. I am not overly prepared for this one. I apologise. I've been uh, doing lots of interviews for Siren and uh, this also got delayed, so I apologise. It's fine. It's fine. You're very forgiving of my inability to plan my schedule. Um, While you look that up, let's talk about Matthew Pavlich again. He gathered a contested ball in the pocket and... It was like he had all the time in the world, gathers the contested ball, uh, turns around, tries to see if there's a teammate he can pass it off to, looks around, takes a bounce, he's still kind of jogging into goal, and he's like, all right, well, I've just got to take this on myself, kicks the goal, and there were so many other great moments that this reminded me of that have come since. Um, the first one being Mitch Hannon's goal against Geelong as well, where he ran like, I don't know, nearly a hundred meters downfield. Ah, oh, that was the best moment. Uh, ran downfield, looked to pass it off. There was no one. All his teammates were telling him to just kick it. Took a couple of bounces. He kicked it. It was a goal. It was right where I was sitting. I lost my shit. It was the best. So that was one that it reminded me of. Another was Jesse Wardlaw for Geelong, uh, for Brisbane this year um, in the AFLW. She did something very similar. She took a mark that wasn't class to mark, I think it was, and she turned around and 
she's very athletic, but she's very tall and slim. So she looks like she's uncoordinated, but she's not. So she's like stepping side to side, trying to find a teammate to pass it off to. Can't find a teammate that's in better position. So she just takes it on herself and kicks the goal. So there's all these things that like Pav, this, this moment with Pav reminded me of that have come since. There are a couple of Swans ones as well that made me think of. So it was just a nice little uh, detour for me while you've looked up whether James Kelly got suspended. He got offered two matches for this one. Did he take two? He did, yes. Uh, two. And speaking of, speaking of, that reminds me of David Myers' 2012 against uh, Carlton. A similar goal. <laughs> Where he, he ran David in. Myers. Absolute <laughs> absolute superstar, Dave Myers. He uh that it was I don't know why it immediately threw me back to that, but it was the same sort of thing where Pavlich looked for the option, there was nothing there, and then he took it upon himself to kick the goal. Hard shot for him, wrong side for a right footer, but he just nails it and it's the goal they needed, the goal that uh kind of just stuffed their momentum when Nathan Vardy kicked that kicked that long range goal. Yeah, it just steadied the ship, I guess. And it was his fifth goal for the game. He was he was injured. I swear to God, he was injured in this game. Oh, and then he gets he gets me. another so, injury later on in the game that we'll uh, we'll get to. Yeah. Um, so Fremantle are now up by twenty seven points. So it's still a four and a half goal buffer that they've got, but it started to feel really tense because the game was much more even than the scoreboard was suggesting. So if you were just watching the game, it was like, ah, oh, Fremantle don't have control of this anymore. They're just trying to like slow the momentum of Geelong now. But because they built up that much of a buffer in the first quarter, they had that safety net. I, I really recall watching this game live and always thinking, though, that Geelong were going to mount their challenge and it's going to happen. And even, even up until this point in the third quarter, I still thought Geelong, Geelong have got the experience to get back in this one. Fremantle might wilt with, with a uh, pretty much much younger lineup with uh, five yeah. you talked about, Walters. Valentine was young at that stage. Uh, Zach Dawson in the back line, your favourite player. <laughs> I feel really mean now, but he just, like, He's not the player I would have taken with me to Fremantle. <laughs> <laughs> From that Saints team, probably not, no. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so the other thing that I found really interesting, and this I alluded to this earlier, is Geelong have a really interesting attitude uh, on the field. They're ruthless and all that sort of stuff, but they also can sometimes show a little bit of immaturity. And I think this was a moment where they did that. And there's a few, there, there are some very distinct moments in my head since then that have followed the same kind of lines. I've called them out on Twitter for it. And a lot of Geelong fans hate me for having said it. Um, Geelong spend more time complaining about a free kick than they do running defensively. And in turn, Hayden Ballantyne kicks a huge goal from 50, from the boundary on 50, uh, because Geelong aren't running defensively because they're too busy complaining that they didn't get a free kick in their own forward half. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The absolute iconic Hayden Ballantyne goal, isn't it? it against the run of play, booze raining down, and he's just like, he's running around like he's just won the grand final. It's, it's peak Hayden Ballantyne. It's what we love about him, or what you love about him, and I, what everyone else hates. I love it so much. But also, like, if Geelong had just dealt with the fact they didn't get the free kick they should have, they thought they should have, and actually run defensively, he wouldn't have found as much space as he did. Exactly, yeah. It was an absolute lapse in concentration that. They paid for, they paid for with the way, goal. Yeah, and the way that the camera actually pans out and you can see almost the whole field, you can see about 15 nearly Geelong players in Geelong's forward 50 
with their hands up calling for a free kick and Ballantyne's already on the wing, nearly 100 metres away from them, running with the ball. It's, um, yeah, it's, again, it's, like we said, it's the, the ability to two-ray run throughout that game that Fremantle just ran over the top of Geelong time and time again and you could use the excuse that they were play, um, appealing for a free kick but they, they just showed an inability to run with Freo for the entire game and, yeah, Hayden Ballantyne really profited here. Yeah, there's a specific moment in my head that I'm thinking of that um, showcases it for Geelong as well. I'm being really mean to Geelong. I'm sorry, Geelong supporters. We'll do, we've done lots of nice ones about you. Um, look, I'll listen to the toe poke with Tom Reed if you're interested in hearing nice things about Geelong. <laughs> so Fremantle are now up by 33 points thanks to that Ballantyne goal. Pavlich's work rate up the ground was brilliant. He was a real leader. He wasn't just, like we said about Johnson and Pierce getting forward to have a shot on goal, um, Pavlich was working up the field to help his teammates out as well. It wasn't just, you get it to me, it was him working to help that. And uh, then Michael Walters from 45 kicks a giant goal. goal. It was amazing. It's It was the quintessential Michael Walters goal, though. It's the goal we see him kick every week now. Uh, the the goal that he should have kicked against Geelong uh, in 2017 in round 14 when Freo were coming back against Geelong at, at Cardinia Park and he hit the post or he just missed in the final seconds. Do you remember that? I do, yep. Yeah. Round 14, 2017, everyone actually go back and look at what games happened that round because it was incredible. And, it yeah, it, this was foreshadowing what Michael Walter's career would be, this this game, because, as you said, that soccer off the ground was an incredible goal. It was very Michael Walter's, but this one even more so. So it was showing his range as a player. Again, this is, this is what we talk about with the East Coast bias for these Western Australian teams, but Michael Walter's was the king of the clutch goal late in games. I mean, what did he have... Maybe, I think in 2018, two or three close to the siren goals to put them in front to win. He's, he's... I think it was, yeah. I think it may have been 17 because it came around the time of the Geelong one. Okay, yep. Yeah. He had two in the lead up to it, I think. I'm going to go back and look at that, but yeah. He's amazing. I love watching him play footy. And he plays very similarly to... No, no, it just reminds me a lot of Lewis Jetta's kicking style, the really elegant way that he moves the ball and that he moves his body to kick. And it seems so effortless, but it goes such a distance. Yeah. Uh, so Frio are now up by 39 points with about seven minutes remaining in the third quarter. And then Lonigan and Duncan both missed opportunities to round it out. And they're now 37 points down at three-quarter time. Geelong, 6-9-45 to Frio, 12-11-83. So really interesting here. There was 10 minutes of no goals for the, remain- for the last section of the third quarter. And Geelong, like you said, had two opportunities to peg it back. And Mizungu did it as well, almost on the three-quarter time siren. And it just felt like we are poised for a big last quarter. Yeah, and at this point, the commentary is just all about Geelong in this game, they're going to win this game. And I was just like, shut up. My man, Brian Taylor. And it they didn't, couldn't it have didn't been stop. barracking harder for Geelong. And it didn't stop two minutes into the fourth quarter. That, uh, Andrew Mackey gets his second goal of the game, and now you're starting to think, okay, this is happening now. Yeah, the fact that Andrew Mackey kicked two goals in this game I don't know what that is tells us, but it's weird. Uh, and two goals for Josh Hunt too. So they were the leading yeah. leading goal scorers for Geelong. So no wonder <laughs> no wonder they struggled to score up front. Mackey's um, Mackey's goal actually was incredible. He literally just took the ball out of McPhee's hands to kick it and cut Freo's lead back to thirty two. <laughs> Literally just took it out of his hands, and McPhee was like, "What just happened to me?" I think that was that was uh, symptomatic of McPhee's career um, post Essendon, <laughs> or, or two years at Essendon, and then the rest at Fremantle. It's just like, what happened? Was he only at Essendon for two years? No, the last two years at Essendon. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, because he came back, didn't he? He did. So Fremantle, then Essendon, and then he went back to Fremantle. Oh wait, I had it in my head around the other way. No, so he started his career at Fremantle, uh, all Australian at Essendon, peaked at Essendon, and then he went back to Fremantle. <laughs> <laughs> peaked at Essendon. Um, 
So Christensen kicked his first goal for Geelong after peppering. So he was looking threatening but hadn't been online to that point for the Cats. So now the Cats are within four goals. And then Ballantyne continues his life as just a human wrecking ball. He was intense. And when Geelong turned up the pressure in the final quarter, he turned up his I'm going to just throw my body at everything pressure level. Again, this is another thing that was lost about Hayden Ballantyne. He was annoying, he was, but he's, he was absolutely as tough as you get for a small forward, and he would just batter his opponent, and he'd throw his ball in like a cannonball, throw his body in, sorry, like a cannonball. And it's just, it, it was really told the difference in this last quarter because every 50-50 contest, he would, he would make his own. It, it was everything for the team. Yeah. He was, like, as much as people didn't like him, he was very much the ultimate team player because he was willing to do anything to himself to make sure his team got ahead in the legal ways, legal ways. Well, his, his skill set and highlights package would suggest that he was a selfish player, but he was quite the opposite. He was always team first and he, he was just very skilled to go with it. So he was one of the premier small forwards in the competition for a good five-year stretch there. Yeah. And it was just unfortunate he couldn't kick straight in a grand final. Um, wow, that was shady. Uh, Frio now have subbed uh, Nick Subin on for Lee Spur. They're two names people probably haven't heard in a very long time. Lee Spur, yeah, not, not, a, not a big influence on the game. 14 touches, three marks. Hence why he was subbed out. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Um, the Dockers moved the ball forward under pressure. They just ran harder, and then Walters and Ballantyne both found themselves free at goal. Walters gets the ball, passes it over the top to Ballantyne, who pounds it through to lift Frio's lead to 29 points. So we're, I don't know, almost midway through the four, final quarter. Frio are up by 29 points. But the commentators are still talking about how Geelong are going to win this. They're going to come back. Well, so that goal came at the 10-minute mark and 21 seconds, and the final score of the game was at 28-minute mark. So I guess if Geelong played their best footy, it could happen. And it did feel, did feel watching it live that they still were a chance, but you, it would have been very hard to bet against Fremantle at that stage. They, were, they just seemed to have every answer every time Geelong mounted a challenge. And they were doing the little things right, which was the thing that we've mentioned Geelong weren't doing at that time either. Exactly, yep. Yeah. So Frio then, as we say, they were doing the little things right. They turned the ball over at the top of uh, their defensive 50 and Josh Hunt blasts the ball through from 55 to peg the margin back to 23. And Matthew Pavlich was also off hurt. Ballantyne and Scarlett were in a scuffle. Ballantyne got smashed in the face. And then Josh Hunt got another free kick and 50-metre penalty, putting him within 20 metres and slots his second. So the Cats are now down by 17 points. Josh Hunt has kicked two goals in the space of minutes. And, and then Tom Hawkins has the chance to get him even closer, just like three minutes later, and, and he, yeah, he does, does, doesn't capitalise on the opportunity. And you still think Geelong are, are, are a chance at this point, but then our man Pav comes back on. And kicks comes back on after getting an Achilles injury seen to, uh, and he's close to a mobile at, the, at that point in the game too. It can't be understated how limited he looks in his motion. Yeah, and he'd actually come into the game with a bit of an injury cloud over him as well. Um, so there's four and a half minutes left in the quarter, in the game, sorry. Mundy takes it out of the middle so beautifully. Pav gathers, kicks it around the body from 45 for his sixth goal. Around the body from 45 while injured. What the fuck? That sidestep is one of the all-time great Fremantle finals moments. It has to be. It's... Every Fremantle fan, you could, you could say, what's the Pavlich game? They know it's this elimination final. And you could say, what about that goal? And they know it's this goal. It's, one of, it's honestly one of my favourite non-Essendon goals in a final of all time. It's fantastic. Just the context what's of everything. What's another one of your favourites? What's Fremantle another goals. one of your favourites? Oh, just pick anyone from uh, this game. Non-Essendon finals goals. Uh, Nick Malczewski. Sinking Hawthorne, fantastic. Uh, I thought you were going to say something else, but I'll take that one for sure. <laughs> And when you said Nick, I was like, yes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Nick Davis, but whatever. Um, actually, the name of this podcast brought something very funny up. You'll have noticed in your feeds that there's um, 
a sorry I don't know I just got something in my eye I just <laughs> poked myself in the eye you'll notice in your feeds that there's a bonus episode which is an interview with um for Siren Sport uh with Michelle Cooling who's the social media manager of the Sydney Swans and obviously Nick Davis still works at the club and is the runner and does all that sort of stuff and she noticed the name of the show that I'd uploaded it as um, after the fact and she goes do you know how many times I have to hear about that with Nick still at the club and I just noticed that my interview was under that name and now he's going to just bother me all the time I was like yes brilliant I didn't even think about that anyway uh, let's go back to Frio. <laughs> that sounds like the most Nick Davis thing I've ever heard. Yeah, he tweets about it all the time, and I can't get enough of the fact that he just talks about it all the time. It's the best. I would talk about it all the time if I did that. Oh, I would never stop. <laughs> yeah, it's just incredible. Um, I'm a Sydney fan. I don't stop talking about it, so whatever. Uh, Frio Net were now up by 23 points. Uh, Harry Taylor gets a free almost directly in front of goal, and he kicks it. Um pegging Frio's lead back to 17 points. But at this point, it feels like they're just playing out the game. Uh, It didn't feel like Geelong had enough momentum to get those couple of quick goals late in the game to make it just one of those classics. And then Barlow and DeBoer get a beautiful clearance. Pavlich marks on 50, but he kicks it out on the full. So he started the game with a terrible shot at goal. He ended the game with a terrible shot at goal. But in between, he kicked six goals. (laughs) He, he, yeah, started the game and then he ended the game. There's no better way to put it. But this is the first time, just as a bit of a side note, that we saw Harry Taylor get thrown forward as a desperation move for Chris Scott. We've obviously seen it with a bit more success in later years. But, yeah, he kicked, kicked um, the last goal of the game and had a chance to kick his second but didn't do it. But it, it seemed like desperation times for Geelong and, yeah, it proved, it proved to be the case. They just had no answers in the final five to ten minutes of the game. Yeah, so because of that, the final score, the siren goes, final score is Geelong 11-14-80 to Frio 14-12-96. And this this was significant because A, Geelong were the reigning premiers, B, it was an elimination final, but C, this was Fremantle's first finals win in Melbourne. Second finals win of all time, I believe, and first away from home, so... It was a significant milestone for them. And then they'd go on to make the grand final the next year. So you, you use this as probably the launching pad to that. Yeah, and we always talk about how clubs who have just made it into finals don't make the grand final the first time round. They have to lose a final series to then go on to make a grand final, all this sort of stuff. I don't well necessarily believe... Yeah, I don't necessarily believe in that, but it kind of was how Fremantle did it here. They had that impressive run. They won the elimination final. They unfortunately lost the qualifying final the week after. Oh, qualifying final? Semi-final. 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 The week after um, to Adelaide, who would then ultimately go on to lose to Hawthorne, who would then ultimately go on to lose to Sydney. Um, But they came close and they had to play Adelaide in Adelaide they lost by just 10 points, even with a few players carrying injury and all that sort of stuff. So it was a really encouraging final series to then go into the following year. And we talk about what Brisbane did last year in the men's and that potentially carrying on into this year. Obviously, this year is quite different given the circumstances, but that's probably what we're seeing from Brisbane now is what Freo did in 2012. Yeah, I think this is the first time that we probably ever would take Fremantle seriously as a footy club at this stage too. They're, they've just beaten the reigning premiers. You can laugh at that, but I, I think it's the truth. I mean, <laughs> Fremantle, Fremantle beat the reigning premiers and they do it in convincing fashion. And they only just go down to Adelaide, who were pretty close to one of the better teams of that year. And then next year they yeah, met the grand final. Were. Yeah, and then if they just kicked straight in that grand final, they would have bloody won it. Yep. They were a good team in that grand final. They just didn't kick straight. Oh, it's probably Ross Mullins' fault. Everyone likes to say that. No, Ballantyne missed three... Was it three early shots on goal? All I remember is Nat, Nat Fife and Ballantyne kicking set shots and just spraying like... Oh, that was their intention. That's how bad it was. Just <laughs> going that at right angles. That was just bad, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, nerve-wracking as well. But, yeah, so Fremantle win. They knocked Geelong out of finals and uh, have kicked six. That's the moral of this story. And I know you've, you've said before that you don't like Ross Lyon, but what, what are your, what's your takeaways from his stint as Fremantle coach? Did you, do you give him much credit for their rise, or do you think that they're – obviously the list was fantastic, but they played a, good, a really good hard brand of footy and worked hard. How much, how much credit do you give Ross Lyon for their – their rise as a footy club? It's hard because I'm very much of the opinion that he he didn't create the team. He didn't develop them. He came in to an already good list who was starting to get to their peak and they played well. I think they would have played well regardless of what game plan he necessarily gave them because they were clearly a team that was just all in for one another. And I think any team that's all in for one another is going to do well. And this is why I love the Swans so much and this is why I love like particular teams so much is because as long as everyone's in playing their role, the team is going to be pretty impressive. And then you add on top of it that Matthew Pavlich, who's one of the best forwards in the game, is there and even through injury he's playing really well. I don't know how much credit you can give to Ross Lyon as compared to their list developers. Right. Yeah, well, it was a really interesting decision that Fremantle got rid of Mark Harvey and it cop- they copped a lot of criticism for it at the time. But ultimately, if, if you're... If you look back at Ross Lyon and say he took the club to their first ever grand final in 2013, you'd say it's a success, even though there's no premiership to show for it. Yeah, but was Mark Harvey that bad? I don't think Mark Harvey was that bad. I think it was very similar to the Brett Ratton situation where it's like this coach just needed time to develop this list to get to a point where they can really challenge. But they took that coach away at the moment that they were almost ready to do that and then put someone else in and the other person gets the credit for all the work that previous coach did. Right, yeah. It's, um, I don't know, I that's just, a cynical just, way of looking at it. but uh, Well, Mark Harvey, when he was his uh, contract was um, severed, he'd been there for four years. So maybe they thought that they, did, they didn't think that he could take them to the next level, whereas Ross Lyon was just fresh off a couple of grand finals with St Kilda. And he had the ability to extract that extra you know, 10% out of the list. But it's an interesting But again, did he build that St Kilda list or did he come into something that just needed a bit more time to develop that was already together? Well, that's the question. That's going to be the, going to be the eternal question about Ross Lyon's tenure as Saints and Fremantle coaches, whether, whether or not his game plan extracted the best out of these players. I mean, obviously... He didn't build either of those lists, but he had the ability to get everyone to buy into his to his game plan. Well, I'm personally of the opinion that he was a great coach, but maybe not the best list manager or player developer, but you obviously don't agree. I mean, player development and young players and debuts are really important to me, and he didn't do any of that. Like There was something like at the Saints, debuts in the first round at the Saints, the only one that ever happened when he was the coach was Jaron Geary. And then at Frio, it was something similar like that, was that in his whole tenure at Frio, no one debuted in the in round one. And it was just like he was never willing to give young players a chance knowing that the senior players would cover, like there was enough buy-in from senior players to cover that. And it just, I think that is a real issue because if you don't show faith in your young players and then also don't give them the chance to develop, there's always a ceiling on what you can do because your time's going to run out. Whereas if you're doing what Sydney does or what I guess Geelong does or Hawthorne does is integrate those players into the cycle so that you can perpetually be challenging, um, you're a much better coach if you can do it that way because it's obviously more difficult to integrate those young players into a senior side and still really cr- have a crack. But it's been proven that you can do it if you're good enough. And John Longmire has proven that. I think Chris Scott has proven that as much as people don't seem to like Chris Scott. I think uh, Alistair Clarkson has proven that. And I don't think Ross Lyon ever proved that. Right. Well, that that is 
that's going to be the mark on Ross Lyon's coaching career is that he coached for the now, not for the future. And that's probably why he's not the Fremantle coach right now. Yeah. And it's probably why he never won a premiership, you know, like, I mean, he got to three grand finals. Technically it was two years, but it was three grand finals. And like his team. Four grand finals if you count the draw. Oh, true. yeah. Yeah. You know, like just, it was never, that first St. Kilda team with the draw, that was the first time I was like, oh, this could actually be something. And then after that, it was just like, oh, he's just going to keep doing the same thing. Nothing changes. Well, yeah, it, w- it would be hard to deviate from your game plan when you go to the 2009 grand final and it's a scarlet freak toe poke that undoes you. And then you go the next year and you, you draw the grand final. You think, is it ever going to go my way? But we're doing the right thing, but is it ever going to go my way? And it didn't really end up well at St Kilda. And then Fremantle, they made the grand final and kicked their way out of it. And yeah, he's obviously in the meter now, not, a, not in the coach's box. But then after... After both of those grand final like efforts from both teams, both teams completely fell away because there was as soon as that senior group retired or got moved on, there was no one that was experienced enough to pick up the slack and they had to completely drop off. And this is what I mean. Like this is why the Swans have made I don't know, I I know the number, but they've missed finals four times, including last year, four times since two thousand. In the AFL era, the Swans have missed the finals four times. And that's because they're debuting players, they're developing them alongside those senior players, so there's a really even spread across the list. And they never completely fall away. Like, the Swans may have finished 15th last year, but they still had a percentage of nearly 100 because they were coming really close all the time and it was just that little bit that they missed out on. And then you know, coming into this year, again different circumstances this year, but coming into this year, you have confidence that those young players that have debuted over the last four years have footy in them that they can really carry the team, even though McVeigh's retired, Grundy's retired, Smith's retired, Jack's retired, you know? Yep. Oh, it's anyway, like, it's like what I had we to see talk about Sydney. Oh, well, I need to talk about Essendon then, so that, 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 that evens <laughs> out. It's exactly what you're saying, though. It's, it's the... Um, it, Essendon, Essendon's hand was forced, obviously, but we got, we got Aaron Francis, we got Darcy Parrish and Andrew McGrath all high-end draft picks, but they've benefited greatly from just experience. Even though one, one of the years was that top-up player year where they were forced to play, it's just the experience now. You, you, we really would have seen the best of those three guys coming into this season, and unfortunately we might not for uh, 2020, but just, the, just getting that early experience just pays, pays um, huge dividends for players. I mean, as good as the waffle and the VFL is, it's just not the same level. It's not even close. You, you can't toil away like you used to, like, 15, 20 years ago and earn your spot the same way you do now and come straight in and make an impact. No, and like you've shown some examples, like we can talk about Oli Florent and how important he is to the midfield now. Like what James Rowbottom is going to do is going to be amazing because he was able to play a lot last year. Like Tom McCartan is another one. There's so many players and, I mean, I could talk about some ones from other clubs if you want, but uh, I don't want to. Uh, so many players that have benefited from having that experience alongside mature bodies and mature players that can help direct them early on. And it's exactly why Luke Hodge went to Brisbane. Well, yeah. Oli Ferran, anyway. he, he's a perfect example. He's, he's, um, I, I would never have picked him to be like a big accumulator of the ball. Like I, I, in his draft year, I just remember him being really flashy and a good, good around goal, but now he's like accumulating big numbers and, yeah, he looks like the next piece of the uh, Sydney midfield puzzle. And they've the, the new players that Sydney have got. Sorry, this has become a Sydney chat, but it always happens that way. Um, the new players that the Swans have have changed the game style so John Longmire can try new things. So as much as the coach needs to figure out a game plan to put out there, the players can influence what the game plan can be by showing off what they can do and the fact that he and uh, Will Haywood and James Robot and all these players are good outside runners as much as they are in inside ball winners it means the Swans can play a different style of footy and it's really exciting and that's something that I don't think Ross Lyon ever did because his immediate reaction once a lot of those senior players moved on from Frio was 
oh, just play defense. Just play defense and that's all you do. Just play defense. And then they could never score and then their games were just ugly to watch because they were just defending, defending, defending and then could never get it out the other end. Well, that, that was when I was looking at the stats for 2012, it was really shocked me how much of a high-scoring team Fremantle were back then. And they, they obviously had the attacking mm. weapons, but th- maybe that, that stands to what you were saying about Ross Long's coaching is that he didn't bring in players to... He didn't bring in the young players no. that had the talent to you know, execute. Now they just had to go like defence-first mindset. You know, like bringing in Zach Dawson, he was the perfect foot soldier for Ross Lyon. He would just listen to instructions. Yeah, he didn't if... care if he got two touches for the game. It was all about you know, like playing the, playing playing the game role. Playing his role. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we've chatted enough about all this sort of stuff. Um, thank you for joining, Todd. No problem. Anytime. We're gonna, we need to do an Essendon, Essendon one soon. I just have far too many friends that go for Essen and Geelong or Hawthorne, and there's just too many episodes of them, and I don't want to keep talking about those teams. But, yeah, I guess we'll do an Essen and one. <laughs> well, this, that's why I suggested this game is because I've seen how yeah. many um, Essen games you have, and I'm like, that's no one wants to hear more Essen. Like, I, as much as well, I do, <laughs> but no one else does. So, And there's, not, there's no Fremantle representation, so let's do it for the path. So this has been another episode of I See It But I Don't Believe It. I'm Gemma Bastiani. Please rate, review, subscribe, like, do all the things that you can do with the podcast because it helps. Um, keep listening to Play On Radio stuff. We've got Australian Jams, which is a little podcast about new Australian music. And when the footy's back, the Play On Preview and Review will return, which is me talking about the footy each week. Uh, so hopefully we have footy to talk about. Anyway, thanks for listening uh, and we'll catch you next week.